Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's edition of Growth Everywhere, where we interview successful entrepreneurs and interview them on business and personal growth tips. Today, we have John Henshaw, who is the co-founder of Raven Tools. John, how are we doing today? I'm doing great. A little cold, but I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, John. Um, yeah. So, yeah, why don't you give us a little background on yourself first, and then uh, you know we'll we'll dive into more questions. Okay, I, I have kind of a strange background. My education is in psychology, uh, so it's it's kind of weird that I got into SEO the the way I did. Um, but I've always been fascinated by computers and the internet, and I think. The thing about the internet for me is it's really about communication, and that's probably the tie-in um, with with psychology. Uh, I just see it as this amazing communication uh, medium, and uh, and it's funny because I mean I've been using it since its early days, and it's 2014, and I still get excited about it when I wake up every day. I I love what I can do. I love the fact that even you know both of us can be having the conversation we're having from two different places. Uh, because of, of what the internet allows us to do. So I, um, it's just a passion for communication and a passion for what the internet can do. As far as SEO goes, I was working for a large corporation several years ago, and I had to do accessibility for their um, business-to-consumer sites and also business-to-business -business sites. And, uh, and what I started seeing was when I would, when I would add – uh, text like alt, you know, attributes to images and things like that, um, and make it so that things could be readable with people with with uh, certain disabilities. That those particular sites started to perform really well um, because they communicated the clearest to Google's bot at the time, and and that that was what got me into SEO in the very beginning. And then of course it just you just get introduced to all these other things and. Uh, and and then you just can't sleep at night because you're so excited about how I can optimize this and I can do that and I can write content this way and own the search results and and I think once once you get bitten by that that SEO bug uh, you, it never goes away and I I continually um, and you know passionate about that too so got it and you've been doing S I mean it sounds like you've been doing SEO for a while how long have you been doing it for for a while I mean not as long as the Greg Bozers and Ray Hoffmans of the world, um, they were doing it way before me. Um, but I've, I probably have been doing it for nine years at least, I would say. I mean, that sounds about right. Yeah. So that's a while in the internet years. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, you go, you go from psychology, you go to SEO, and then now you're running Raven Tools. Can you give us a little background on Raven Tools and what it is? Yeah. So... Um, the way we got to Raven Tools was I had moved to Nashville and was part of an agency. And so we were doing SEO services, web design, coding, all kinds of things. And it, the way all good software is made, uh, at least typically, is you're trying to solve your own problems. And so the problem uh, that we had was we needed to be able to create reports quickly. And we couldn't. Nobody could. And we would spend the last part of the month, instead of actually doing work and being able to even take on more clients, we, we spent the time trying to gather all this data from all these different places and then put it into a comprehensive, presentable report for our clients for the things that we did for them. And 
Uh, and so that's basically where Raven came from. And, and for us, it was tied to SEO because that was the, the main, main service that we were doing. We were doing link building. And so the original Raven was, it was called Raven SEO Tools. And, and it essentially had a way for teams to be able to manage their link building efforts all in one place. Uh, I believe it may have even had a toolbar back then, so Firefox. Um, and, and then we had this one-click reporting, and that's why agencies loved it, was because they could take all their efforts and press a button and schedule the reporting. And, of course, it exploded into, and grown and evolved into something much, much bigger, which now, uh, a few years ago, I really saw the convergence of all these different methodologies, including you know, paid and social and content. Um, coming into one place under one roof. And so we went ahead and, and took that, that step and changed the, the name of the product to Raven Internet Marketing Tools, and that's when we started um, expanding what it does. And so today I, what, what Raven is is a platform uh, that centralizes uh, essentially the marketing, the online marketing campaigns for agencies and in-house marketing departments. And uh, the key things that people use it for is to centralize their data, uh, manage their, their campaigns, like their social media campaigns, um, but in particular to be able to run those reports anytime they need to for their manager, uh, for their client. They can schedule it and uh, they, can, uh, they can brand it with their own uh, logo and that type of thing. Got it. So it sounds like you guys started with one key component first, which is SEO, uh, you know, reporting all that kind of stuff for agencies, and then you got good at that, and then you found that you needed to expand into other areas once you kind of solidified, you know, what you had before, right? Exactly, and, and what I've seen in the marketplace is a lot of people have stayed within their niche, and, and that is, for us, that's a short-term win, but not a long-term win, and, and so what we decided to do was uh, sacrifice the time we could have put into, say, uh, what we had done so far with our SEO tools and start putting that to social and, and, and other areas uh, with the idea that We'll win in the long run because we will have a, uh, a seasoned, cohesive, uh, full internet marketing platform. Um, and, and in a lot of cases, some of the, the niche kind of products, uh, they are things that are becoming commoditized. So it really comes down to, um, as an example, if you want to queue or you want to buffer you know, a tweet, well, there's other people are doing that now. It's not just buffer, it's other ones. And, those are, and that's something that we... Um, could easily add and plan to add to our system, and then you're pretty much done. So that's that's a lot of, of how we're approaching it. Is uh, we're in it for the long haul, and we're looking at the big picture, and and um, and it's okay if we can't do something today because we'll be able to do it tomorrow. So. Got it. Yeah, I, I think you know that's a really good key takeaway. I mean, a lot of companies you see they start with something first, you know, whether it's uh, Apple, Google, or whatever, and then they're ex like Google's expanding into like you know uh, self-driving cars and things like that now too, right? Um, yeah. I think. I think the same thing applies to to marketers too. I mean, you know, you started in SEO, I started in SEO too, but then you gradually realize that only having that skill is not enough. Like there's so much more to marketing and you know, you know, Rand Fishkin talks about being a T-shaped marketer and all that. So I think, you know, for a lot of marketers that work in startups right now or entrepreneurs that think, you know, they're gonna silo things down and only focus on, you know, one thing, um, I think they're gonna win in the long term. I think, you know, um that's not that's not the way to go. You really need to expand, right? Yeah, and and my my job, and it's just who I am and, and how I am in this company, but my job is to always be looking towards the future and where things are going. Mm -hmm. And uh, in fact, that's one of the things I just switched back into uh, just because it was something that was obvious that I think needed to happen 
uh, here, along with a bunch of, of other things we've, we've done. Uh, and that is that I'm, I'm now, uh, aside from kind of representing the product, you know, as far as speaking and things, I now uh, am running our R&D uh, department. And because they're, are, as, as great as what Raven does today, we need to be prepared for what's going to happen tomorrow. And we also want to be in a place of innovation so that um, it's not that we're playing catch up somewhere or uh, that we're providing, yes, you know, now you can do this on, you know, with a social network, but that, uh, that Raven is, is exciting the marketplace, that, that we are solving problems that still haven't been solved. And also, um, in a, in a very good way, predicting where things are going to be next and be there first to be ready for it. I mean, so that's, that's kind of where my mind is right now, um, as far as the company. And, and yeah, I think it's, if you're not thinking about, where things are going uh, with your product, with your software, what you're doing with your services, um, then you need to start doing that because you're going to wake up one day and you'll be surpassed by a lot of people. And so we, you know, we don't want to lose all the stuff we've gained. And so that's what we're focusing on that. Completely agree. And so let's dive a little bit into user acquisition. So this is kind of like a two-pronged question. So how many users do you guys have today? And what did you guys do to get your first 100 users? Oh, wow. So. Uh, today we have over 10,000 users on our system. Um, the getting the first 100, I remember it very well, <laughs> and uh, it's 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 amazing to watch something grow and how excited you are. I'm still I still have like the same level of excitement with the number of users we have now and what we're doing um, as I sort of did back then. I mean, you're just you're you make this thing and you just hope people are going to come and use it and, and like it and even pay you money to use it, uh, even more importantly. And I would say, you know, the first 200 to 300 users was probably the hardest. I mean, that's, that's when nobody, nobody knows who you are. And, uh, and you know, and, and they're entrusting you with their data, with their, in, in our case, their campaign data, their link data, their, their tactics in a sense. Um, you know, we have that data. And, and so there's a lot of things you have to do within your market, in particular our, our market, um, in order to gain that trust, uh, in order to show them that this is, this is something that's here to stay, uh, that type of thing. So what I did was, because we didn't, we didn't have a budget. So that's the thing is most people who are just starting out and just trying to get any customers, um, most likely don't have any money. And, and so, and it's funny because I just gave a presentation on this called Bootstrap Marketing for our National Entrepreneur Center. And so it's fresh in my mind. So one of the things you have to do is, is uh, what I call participation marketing. And that is um, you go, you, you basically, you look at where are people, where are the, as far as your target audience, as far as influencers, where are they in your market? Um, and then go there, you know, which is basically go to the conferences. You know, for us, it's going to be, it, for me in particular, back then it was PubCon. Mm -hmm. um, that was very effective for me as far as relationship building. Uh, and then find out, you know, what are people talking about? Even what are the problems they're having? Because uh, it may be that some of the things that people are talking about, you might be able to solve with, what, with your product that you're making. Um, being present, uh, making sure that, that you don't go to bed early. <laughs> I mean, I mean, and, and honestly, some of the best 
connections and relationships, real friendships and relationships I made um, were at 5 a.m. in Las Vegas mm. uh, with a group of people just hanging out. And, you know, I wasn't there trying to talk about myself, but at some point you're going to be talking about topics that relate to your interests. And at some point uh, somebody's going to wonder what you're doing and, and what you're up to. And that pays off. Uh, but, it, but you generally can only uh, do that if you are sincere in those relationships, if you're actually developing real friendships, which is really easy to do if you care about your industry. Since I love SEO, it's easier for me to talk about SEO. In fact, I prefer it um, with people versus talk about football. Mm-hmm. And, and so, um, so a lot of it is around relationships. And, and again, when you don't have any money and you can't advertise and that type of thing, it is all relationships. And if you can, in a genuine way, uh, befriend people who speak at conferences, um, you know, reach out to those people uh, in a way that's not spammy, mm-hmm. um, then eventually you know, they might give your product a look. You know, and of course, give it away. Say, hey, I know you're busy, you know, all this type of stuff, but I love it. I've created you a free account, or I will create you a free account. I love it if you would just check this out mm-hmm. and just give me feedback. Um, there's all kinds of things that can happen from that. Uh, one is you, you can get feedback there where they're not ready to share your product, but if you actually go and incorporate it and then let them know, they might share the fact that, you know, they might feel good that you actually listen to them and made changes to their software based on, I mean, to your software based on their, their input. Um, so that's a good way to kind of develop that, that friendship or that relationship. Um, the best case scenario is you give it to them and they're like, oh, this is awesome. Like, I like you as a person. I like what you're doing over here. And I think I'm going to mention this to, on a blog or the next time I speak mm-hmm. at a conference. And, and so that was a really big focus. I would say for the first couple of years, that was a huge focus. And, and that's what got us to two, 300 users. Um, but, it, but it took a while. And, and then from there, it just started climbing and climbing and climbing, you know, and it just becomes kind of, um, as you would hope, exponential. It's, it's, we still haven't had the, um, so waiting for that IBM commercial event, you know, where, where they, they flip on the switch and it just breaks the counter. The you know, hockey stick? Yeah, yeah. And they're like, <laughs> oh, we're in trouble now. Yeah. Um, I, I guess I would say that that's actually a good thing um, since we're a SaaS product and while, we're, while we develop at the scale, you just never quite know, you know, mm-hmm. what would happen if we had 100,000 users tomorrow. I don't, I don't know if we'd be able to handle that. Mm-hmm. But, but good steady growth is what you want. Um, that's a sign of health, and we've had that for year over year over year. Um, and so now, once you now that we're into the thousands, um, you know, it's. I guess I guess the reason why I still get excited about new users every day, new people coming to the platform, is because now there's a lot of competition. There's a lot of people in the space now. Mm-hmm. There was when we first got started, and so. Um, we, we you fight the good fight in different ways, and now we have some more resources, so we market different ways and pay uh, for advertising and different do different things. Mm-hmm. Um, but just getting started and getting to those first 300, it's 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 getting on your feet, um, it's going out, it's it's uh, creating those relationships in the most genuine way that you can, um, and not being spammy about it, and it pays off. Got it. Okay, so I mean, let's say you go. Okay, you first start going to PopCon. You're like, I need to, you know, talk to these people more. You know, they're in the same space. You know, you you talk about going up to eventually start speaking, right? So, 
how do you find the right topics to talk about? I mean, given that you're head down with, you know, Raven tools with all the product and all that, how do you stay up to date to kind of, you know, show people that you still like know your shit? Yeah, I, you know, I've actually really struggled with that for a few years. And in fact, the, the fact that I'm going back into R&D is actually helping me um, get to know my shit again. Um, not that a whole lot has really changed that matters and in, in what you actually do, and especially in regards to SEO. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, aside from things like schema.org, uh, which we made a tool for, and, and, you know, and making sure you know you're using GA well as far as tracking goes. Um, I generally, I can sense things that are trends and I just kind of ignore them. Mm -hmm. And then there are things, like I said, like schema that come along and it completely catches my attention. Mm -hmm. Okay, this is important. Like, I've been interested in microformats for a long time. I've known that structured data was going to be really big. It's frustrated me for years that Google in particular has ignored this for some reason. Mm -hmm. um, and then one day they pop up and they're like, oh, by the way, we care about structured data now and we wrote our own um, way of doing it called schema.org. Well, that gets my attention. Because mm -hmm. it's something in that I've always known was important and I didn't understand why they, were taking they weren't taking action on it. Um, and so to me, that, that's, um, if it's something like that, it's pretty easy if you've been in the industry for a while to, to know what to take notice of. Um, however, the things that have frustrated me personally on a professional level and even when it comes to speaking, is not being able to have the time to do experimentation. Yeah. And, and in fact, most of the stuff that, that a lot of times that I'll speak about will include just my weekend warrior stuff, where, where it's just I have an itch that I have to scratch. Mm -hmm. um, I want to build this site. I want to build it this way. I want to put this type of content on there, and I want to promote it in this way, and I just want to see what happens. Yeah. Within my own sites or on my own time, um, you know, a lot of times it's affiliate-related mm -hmm. uh, things doing and uh but, but that's about it and so i'm frustrated because i can't i'm so focused on doing things with the software that i can't really be a marketer mm -hmm. and, and test those things so um, part of my new role uh all is not just r d it's it's also moving back into what i did the first the early years that i just described earlier which is being more of a, an evangelist for raven and which means that I'm a marketer again. I get to market the product. I also get to think about the future of the product. Um, so, uh, so I would say, you know, it's for me personally, it's been very difficult to stay on top of things. Mm -hmm. But through experience, I know what to pay attention to and what's actually important. Um, and as of now, I'm in a place where I feel like I can start contributing more. And that will probably that will probably lend itself to being able to speak more. You know, if we're, if we're talking about people who are starting up and it's like, well, that's great that you can speak, you know, and or you have spoken at these particular places, uh, obviously you can't start there. I mean, that's not how it happens. Um, where, where I started personally was locally. If you're, if you're wanting to get there, you have to build your way up. I mean, you have to prove that you can actually present something well, uh, and, and, uh, cohesively. <laughs> and so uh, I, for me, it was bar camp and pod camps in Nashville. Uh, it was, it was pitching anywhere and everywhere that I could mm -hmm. and, and taking it. Uh, it was even slightly, you know, doing something that was manip manipulative in a, in a sense, not manip manipulative, but makes you look better than maybe it really was. So uh, as an example of that being, uh, 
I, I really, there was something I thought I, I could get into, but it was in Australia. And, and I wouldn't mind going to Australia. And, and so uh, I, I was accepted because, you know, for Australia, it's, it's good. And, and for what they're doing, it's exciting to have somebody from the States or from another country. Uh, so there's a lot of things going for, for each in person. And I, I need the chance to say that, hey, I now have spoken internationally. <laughs> so I just say bar camp, but it's like, yeah, I spoke in Australia. Yeah. You know, like, I, I think that leads some credibility. Yeah. So you're then pitching to something a little better, or a little higher on the ladder. Uh, and then ultimately, uh, you know, you can make it to the SMX and, and um, the PubCons and SESs and all those things um, based on having that experience and showing people and eventually having videos and showing them your deck and, and, uh, and writing in a lot of places and getting noticed. And that's, that's ultimately what is what gets you at that place. You know, you bring up a really interesting point. So, you know, I still, I mean, even when I still go to local events right now and I speak, it's still very nerve wracking to me. So when is the right time for people to start making, you know, the upgrades to, you know, the SMXs, the PubCons or whatever big conference, you know, people are trying to speak at? Well, I, I think a lot of it has to do with self-awareness. You know what I mean? I mean, it's kind of, um, if, if you're if it's sort of like you start at PodCamp and then your next step is I'm going to try to get an SMX, it's just mm -hmm. not going to happen. Yeah. And and so it, it, it's self-awareness of, of where am I and and what how do people see me within my own industry mm. and and can I sell myself legitimately as a qualified person to speak on this at this particular event uh, you know there's, there's other components to it too I mean there's a lot of going back to relationships relationships help if you want to speak at a particular event it's probably a good idea to try to connect with and, and develop a relationship with somebody who works with that event. That helps. It's not going to get you necessarily on the panel um, at, the, at the good events, um, but it, it will get you a foot in the door. And, and then when you can prove to the right people that you are qualified and have something kind of extra to offer than, say, somebody else, um, that's helpful. Uh, for example, even in the recent past, I've gotten on certain panels because I had a very pertinent, relevant experience for something that was a hot topic. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, and that's my expectation going forward is, is that as I work in this R&D area and I do the experiments that I'm doing, that I come up with unique information that's helpful to the industry. And in the same way that you would approach something from a PR perspective uh, where you give somebody an exclusive uh, you give you, you have something you know some piece of data or report um, that is only for that media outlet. Uh, I would expect that to be probably how I'm going to approach certain things, which is hey, um, please consider me for this particular panel or even for my own little time to to talk uh, because I have something that's brand new. I'll share it with you only, and it'll be exclusive to your event. That's a good way to kind of get in somewhere if you can show them that there's there's something that. Their uh, the people attending there are going to get from it. Got it. And you know, it, it's I think you know this is the second time you know someone has brought up uh, you know attending local events, speaking at local events, kind of building up your brand. Um, you know, Brian Carson from Treehouse. That's kind of kind of how he started up Treehouse. Um, you know, just by you know starting small and then eventually getting big. And I think a lot of people aren't taking advantage of that right now. Maybe because you know 
everyone likes to do everything online or whatever or you know stage fright or whatever but i think at the end of the day you just need to jump in there and do it that's kind of the, you know the takeaway that i'm getting from this um anyway going back into user acquisition um i mean how you know what's been working for you guys uh you know today what's been effective you know you, you can name like two or three things yeah i mean the the best type of user acquisition is when your own customer is talking about you in a positive way mm-hmm. um that's if you can if you can win over your own customers and and it's a joy for them to use your software uh, particularly in our industry because it's online marketing so everybody has a blog and you know has, has social profiles um, that speaks louder than a, an ad it speaks louder than a banner or something necessarily at uh, some sort of sponsorship or whatever is to have people talk about you um, having influencers speak about you, whether that be in a presentation they're giving or on their own site or whatever, um, speaks the loudest. It, it is, uh, it's verification that this particular product, this service is legit and you should check it out. Uh, and of course those, those are the mentions you want are, are personal mentions. So, um, I would say that those are the highest things for us, uh, from, from a, but I, you know, skip the relationships in this and that type thing. Like, what can I just do? Go do, go out and do. Uh, affiliate network works really well for us. Um, that's something that, um, you know, you you have to. You need to set the rules up well to begin with, you know, so that people know, you know, what their sandbox is and how they can play and and don't hurt your brand um, or take over your your pay-per-click advertising, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So you have to set the rules up well. But beyond that, if you give them the right resources and you build a community around that and you reward and acknowledge your, your top performers, then it can work out really, really well for you. And it has for us. Um, you know, one of the things we're also thinking of doing is, is actually uh, doing a – uh, some type of like referral program within our system. That's something that we're actually bouncing around because that, that we think that makes a lot of sense too from loyalty and people feeling good about using the product and being rewarded for it mm-hmm. in some sense. Um, but the affiliate it, itself, uh, we use uh, ShareSell, has worked out very, very well for us. Yeah, ShareSell has been great. I mean, um, if there's any book I can recommend to the audience, it's if you guys are like an in-house marketer, it's um, Affiliate Program Management, I think one hour a day or whatever uh, from Gino. Forgot I read his, that. I forgot his last name, but yeah, um, it's. Uh, it, I mean, yeah, I think a lot of startups, you know, don't jump into affiliate marketing because they think it might be a little too spammy. It's beyond their understanding, whatever, you know. And a lot of startups, you know, in general, they don't really like, you know, a lot. Well, they're getting. There's more interest in internet marketing, but uh, you know, it's there's still some kind of skepticism towards it. So I'm I'm glad you mentioned that. But um, you know, I'd, li- I'd like to actually go into that a little bit more later. Um, but you know, kind of going back a little bit, you know. Your company going from consulting, and I think about 37 Signals, they did a lot of web design, web dev, web dev before going into, you know, making products. I mean, how do you, you know, how do you make that transition? Like, how do you find the right people? Can you kind of walk me through that? Oh, uh, yeah, it's really difficult. <laughs> so, I mean, like all good things, it is not easy to get there. And, uh, I mean, getting Raven to where it is today, I mean, it was, it was painful. I mean, it was really, really hard to do it from going from, you know, going from services. So 
to even back up further of where why we created Raven, this is the part I I, um, I didn't include originally or earlier, and that is that the very first thing that led us to Raven was I was doing sales also. I mean, I was I was a person who was in charge of finding the business. I mean, I, I wore a lot of hats as most people do in in agencies, and I what I wanted was I wanted the ability to press a button, like just enter a URL, some homepage of some pr prospective client mm -hmm. that would then parse the, the HTML and 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 then score and, and, and give me details about things that could be improved uh, based on on-site SEO elements. This was like seven years ago uh, or longer. And, and, uh, and, and it was a sales tool. And I'd press it, and it spit this out, and I made it look good, and that would be part of my sales process. And it was very effective. One of the things that we did, because we made websites, and we mainly just did web coding, was we went ahead and made it into this web script. I mean, it was just something that I could go to, I could go to this address and just punch in the URL and run it. And then we're like, you know what? This would make great link bait. Before link bait, I think, was even a word. Mm -hmm. And... And, and so we made it free. We just stuck it out there, and at the time we called it the SEO Analyzer. That's, that was the name. Now it's called like the Design Analyzer. And, and, uh, and it was hugely popular. I mean, it was, it was just, I, it might have been like tens of thousands of people across the world who were using this. We had little badges. And it was a time when people would put these little badges, like tiny badges on the bottom of their footer. Which they don't do. I mean, it's long gone, but very popular. All over the world, it was fantastic. And then that, then we were sort of like, well, this is kind of good, and we're kicking butt in the SERPs, and we're getting, we're starting to get business from out of the state. You know, this is kind of a big deal, all from organic results. So we added three more tools. One of them was the SERP tracker. So we were one of the very first that I'm aware of uh, web apps that automatically tracked ranking results, mm -hmm. and and that was hugely popular. So one day, um, we, we looked at our, we were using AWS. We had early private beta access to AWS, and that's what we put everything on. So one day, we looked at our AWS bill, and it was a lot of money that, for all the stuff we were giving away. And this is during the time when everything was free. Mm -hmm. So SEO Chat had a ton of tools, I guess still does, all free. Everything was just free. Mm -hmm. and, and SEOs were notoriously cheap, and we don't like to pay for anything. And so... We're just so like we can't continue to give this stuff away, but we're on to something, mm -hmm. and, and that's when I kind of started my story about Raven earlier, which is we had a problem to solve for ourselves, and we and, and the part I left out was what would we pay for, and our answer to what we would pay for would be like quick reporting, because if you could save me ten hours in reporting and just run the reports in five minutes, mm -hmm. and I consider an hour worth 50 bucks or worth 100, then I just saved myself hundreds or thousands of dollars and what I have to do. So that all made sense to us. And, and so, you know, we did that, but there were, after we launched Raven, there were months that would go by when we wouldn't touch it, wouldn't touch the code um, because we couldn't. We were trying, we're still trying to stay alive. Mm -hmm. We still had a service, we were still a services business. Yeah. And 50 or 100 customers at the time, we were maybe charging 29 bucks or something a month or whatever, did not support the business. Mm -hmm. Did not support the designers, the coders, everything. And, and so it was, it was several years 
before we got there, and it was several painful years because it's also painful running the agency because it's it's up and downs. Yeah. You know, you get tons of business and you have no business, and and so uh, we worked on it when we could. I was so passionate about it that I that's whenever whatever chance I had, I would spend uh, promoting, thinking about pushing Raven, but. I still had to meet with our regular clients and that type of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, the goal for us was to always get out of the services business and mm -hmm. do the do software full-time if we could. Uh, it wasn't simply because we'd rather do that than the other. It was, it was actually because we thought there was a conflict of interest there mm -hmm. and, and, and that there was an ethical dilemma. And, and this I did kind of mention earlier, but there's an ethical dilemma in – storing other people's data that we're competing against. Yeah. And we did at some point start to uh, bid against companies we knew were using our software just because we had a relationship with them and it didn't feel good. Mm -hmm. Now we're honest people. I mean, we, we truly are. And, and the data is on lockdown. Only I, maybe a few other people could even get to some of the data, particularly back then. Mm -hmm. um, and so we never, you know, we don't look at anybody's anything. Um, but that doesn't matter. And and you know you still need to have uh, you still need to have certain things in place to have that type, that level of trust. And I and I never thought that we the product itself would ever grow unless that trust existed. Mm -hmm. And so um, that was one of the reasons why why we did that. But there was a point in time where you know we were able to forecast just a couple months ahead just how the growth curve was going was going with the product. That we were like, we're going to be able to not have to provide services anymore. Like, like Raven has finally taken off uh, enough and is making enough revenue that mm -hmm. we don't have to do that anymore. And and it was a, it was an amazing day. I mean, the day. I mean, it was scary. Scary as all get out because you still, you know, the future is always uncertain. Mm -hmm. um, but it was just great. And it was sort of like now I could focus on this one thing. And then the day we started focusing on that is the day Raven really took off. Got it. So, yeah, I mean, you know, doing the services business and then, you know, starting Raven up, it sounds like you have to double down, you know, you have to work on both things at the same time. And yeah. then eventually when you transition over to Raven, it it sounds like people that were doing the services businesses or, or were in the service business with you might not be a fit anymore. So what do you do about sure. that? Um, that was also very painful uh, as a business owner and a friend to, you know, most of my employees, you know, at the time, like, you know, felt very close to several people that I worked closely with. Mm -hmm. um, and there, we didn't, most people were able to transition over. We tried to do our best to transition everybody over, but there were one or more people who were incredible on the services side, who know their stuff inside and out, but there just was not a place for them on the software side. It did, that made sense, that mm -hmm. used their skills um, and that justified their salary. Mm -hmm. And, and so, um, there were a couple of people we eventually had to let go cause it just didn't make any business sense. Um, and you know, and there's one person in particular who, if they ever watch this video, will know who I'm, that I'm talking about them, that it just crushed me to, to tell that person who I still deeply respect and we're still friends and they're amazing at what they do, mm -hmm. um, but we had to let them go. It just it is what it is. I mean, at the end of the day, it's about business. 
Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, you're running a business. You're, you are trying to, you treat the business as a living organism and, and what is going to make the business healthy. And, and if you run a business correctly, uh, you, there's no way to avoid decisions and things that you're going to have to do that just feel awful and you lose sleep over and you just hate it for the other human being. And even that, you know, you're actually, you know, having to make this decision, but you have to do what you have to do. It, it is at the end of the day, Raven is here because of, of making good business decisions, even if they were difficult or hard at the time. Right. So it sounds like you just need to get over things fast, no matter how connected you are. Um, so in terms, you know, there's always this question in the startup world, you know, how do I find a good technical co-founder? You know, your background's in psychology. So how do you go about finding, you know, that CTO, VP of, of, of technology yeah. type person? So some of it is obvious and some of it is luck, you know, even if you can't find that person. Uh, for me, I had like every skill but coding. I'm not a coder. I've tried to be a coder. I'm not a coder. I can certainly do HTML, CSS, and that type of stuff, but I am not a programmer. I never will be. Um, but dang it, I can do some other stuff really well. And, and so what brought me here to Nashville into that original agency was it was Sightning, which is the company that it owns Raven, that is behind Raven. Um, it was two guys working out of an apartment and they were both coders. And, and for me, I, was, I had that one entrepreneurial itch left in me. I actually left a corporate job to move to Nashville and do this thing. And, and, uh, and so, you know, you find the people who will compliment what you do, you compliment them, they compliment you. And, and that's, that's how that kind of was. Um, as the company evolves, you recognize your deficits. So for us, uh, it was Scott Holdren and me were the partners at a certain point, and this is at a place early on where, where Raven was coming on the scene. And we knew that the two of us were not good at growing a company and running a company. That I was good at the things I do, He's good at things that he does. Neither of us are good at growing a company and, and, and building this thing. And so we uh, sought out that person, and, and it was not easy. And then we finally found that person, but it took six months of kind of each other kind of sniffing each other out because the two of us and, and this person had not had great experiences with previous partners. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so we wanted to make sure this could be a good fit. And, and it has been, and we got lucky, and, and that's what I mean by luck. I mean, it's really, uh, from all the things I've done in the past and all the other entrepreneurs and people I know out there, uh, what Raven has as far as the ownership and the three partners that include me is very rare. And, and so uh, Patrick Keeble is the person we found to, to join us, and uh, and he runs the company, he knows how to grow the company, has that experience that Scott and I don't have. Scott has the experience of how do you build the SaaS and scale it and make it reliable and make it fast and, and, and do things correctly technically. I can't do that. Patrick can't do that. And then I have my own set of skills, you know, whether it be understanding the industry, um, the ability to, to speak and, 
build product and that type of thing that those two don't really have. And so it just, it works really well together. And, and that's what you, that's how you pursue it is you, you recognize um, and be honest with yourself with what you're not the best at and you try to find somebody or, or people to, to fill that in. Yeah, and I think six months also brings up a, a key point too that you don't want to move too quickly just to hire someone for the no. sake of hiring, right? Yes. Because you're getting married pretty much. Um, yes, we are, we, are, we are absolutely married as business partners. I mean, it's it's true. Got it. Okay. I, I spend more time with them than I do with my own family technically because I sit in the same room with them every day, you know? Yeah. So. Oh, and it's good. You guys don't drive each other crazy, I'm assuming, since you guys can keep no, doing not that. That's too good. much. Not, not too much. <laughs> cool. Um, so going back into um, affiliate marketing, so when do you think it's a right time to start one? And I guess this is two-pronged as well. What are some keys to success? And I know I know you mentioned some earlier. Yeah, well, so as far as affiliate marketing goes, uh, and this is based on what I know now, you know, in other words, like through mistakes we've made and that type of thing. Um, you want Number one, you want to have somebody who's a dedicated point of contact uh, who you can reach anytime, you know, every day. Uh, you want to have a community, and right now what we're doing is we're actually using G Plus community, and it's a private community, meaning once you're in the system, then we can invite you in or you can request, but it's just not an open public community. But a place where people can share and, and even complain if they want to. Uh, but, the, but the biggest uh, part of that is actually to distribute new things that they can use. So, hey, here's, here's a new feature that just came out, and here are the details about that. Here are screenshots. Here are some uh, ads that you can use to, when you talk about this. Here are some new recommendations or new, or, or, or new communication, uh, communication you know, type things that you can use uh, when, you, when you potentially blog about it or review it. And so it's, it's, it's basically having, having that connection for them that is there and is reaching out to them. You, uh, the mistakes we've made in the past are create affiliate uh, accounts uh, affiliate, uh, create an affiliate program and do nothing. You know, I mean, it's stupid. Yeah. Uh, looking back on it, um, you need to, if you're going to do it, um, commit to it and, and commit to frequently engaging with them and giving them the resources they need to promote it. Because basically, an affiliate program is a marketing arm. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, what's nice about it for the company is that unlike other ways of marketing, you don't actually pay for it until it performs. Mm -hmm. So Yeah, and then I, I think there's another nickname for affiliate marketing because some people get com uh, confused by it. It's, it's quite simply just performance marketing at the end of the day. Yeah, um, yeah, performance marketing, yeah. for sure. Cool. Um, yeah, and so what, I mean, are you able to reveal kind of, you know, how well your affiliate program has done for you, Any, anything like that, like percentage-wise? I, if I knew it, I couldn't reveal it. <laughs> just because we're still pretty much we're private company, mm -hmm. you know. Um, uh, all all I know is the last time I was in a meeting and it was discussed, it was a significant percentage. I mean, it was it was enough that everybody should be considering doing this because it works really well for us and our business. I mean, it's it would it's silly. Okay, based on how it's worked for us, mm -hmm. it would be silly not to consider doing an affiliate program. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. And then there's just this bad, you know, stigma towards it. I, I mean, when I when I when I did it at Treehouse, I mean, you know, once once you figure it out, it, it's not something that you can just set and forget. You have someone actively managing it. My God, like that thing just takes off, and you learn a lot more as well. well you know, it's kind of like SEO. I mean, there's there's a bad 
stigma with SEO, but there are really good SEO people who do SEO. Mm -hmm. And the same goes with affiliate marketing. And it's funny because I, I ran across this Google Webmaster Tools affiliate guideline thing. And I expected to read affiliates bad and make sure you label it like this. I, that's all I expected to read. Mm -hmm. Instead, it was actually quite friendly uh, about it. I plan on blogging about this in the future mm -hmm. um, and linking to it and stuff. But and and they're just more focused on on you being honest. I mean, they're more focused on pr providing value and not just copying a bunch of text and sticking it on on your site. They, you know, what they and, and they even described this. What they're looking for is, hey, if you're if you're going to be a good affiliate marketer, you know, one that whatever is Google appropriate. Yeah. Um, what they're looking for is have a blog. And write good stuff that's relevant to that blog, and then occasionally, it's totally cool if some of these things are affiliate linked. Like it's and it's original, valuable content. Mm -hmm. um, that's something I've always done automatically, anyways. With with like I told you, my weekend warrior stuff and some of the blogs I do on the side. Mm -hmm. I have one blog in particular doesn't have a ton of content on there. It's, but it's pretty well done, and certainly SEO the crap out of it, you know, as far as on-site goes. Um, got a few choice links to it um, that really help it. And I have, I have one article on there that makes hundreds of dollars a month from an affiliate link at the very bottom at the end of the article. Mm -hmm. and, the, and the reason why it works is because it's, it's a genuine article, I mean, a real personal story that I wrote about this particular topic. Mm -hmm. I linked a bunch of other stuff just legitimately, um, you know, and I kind of end with, with the last thing I mentioned is this thing, and this thing's really great, and I have a huge click-through rate on that, and, and it makes a ton of money, and I don't do anything. I mean, it's like total, pure, passive income. Mm -hmm. I don't even think about. Um, and, and so I think if you – there's a lot to get from those guidelines from Google. As much as we're sort of like, don't listen to them, or it's propaganda, or – you know, if you're doing what they say, you're not doing it right. I, you know, in, in this case, that's a pretty good strategy. And, and I, another one is also, and I think I've heard Ray Hoffman say this a lot, which is build a brand, build a community. Yep. And then you can slip that in there here and there. And, and that works really well. So I think once you have the community going, you have all that traffic going, you can pretty much decide whatever you want to do with it, whether it's building tools, you know, doing affiliate marketing or whatever. So I, I think that's a really good point. Um, so wrapping it up here, you know, about three more questions. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about growth hacking right now, and there's there, people are kind of segmenting growth hackers from like internet marketers. I mean, what's your whole take on this growth hacking thing? So you give me an example of growth hacking. <laughs> so. It, it, it's it's always something that's shifting around, right? Some people are saying growth hacking is a new VP of marketing. They need to learn how to code and all that. Some people are saying growth hacking is a mindset. You know, you're just focused on growth all the time. Um, you know, to me, I'll, I would say that growth hacking is, you know, a well-rounded, quote, quote, unquote, full stack marketer, right? So someone that can do, you know, someone that understands UX, analytics, uh, can do PPC, can understand all these things and okay. kind of mold them yeah. together. So, it, I mean, a growth hacker to me sounds like... Um somebody's ultimate dream. <laughs> you know I mean, and, and, uh, and, and generally when the, the people I would put into the category of growth hacker are few and far between. Um, somebody I would consider 
he probably wouldn't consider himself this, but I put him in this category. Uh, a growth hacker would be somebody like, uh, I think it's Sean Inman, the guy behind Mint and Have a Fever. He, he's, a, he's a coder out of Chattanooga. Is that the game music. Myth? No, no, no. It's oh, Mint. Okay. Mint. Yeah. Mint. Mint. Okay, Mint. got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. Um, he, uh, again, I, from a marketing standpoint, he doesn't really fit this, but he has every skill. I mean, he can do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, to, 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 put, to me, that just sounds like uh, uh, somebody like me who has no resources but knows how to be dangerous in all these different places and, and do all these things. That's I mean, exactly what yeah. it is. I mean, it sounds awesome. Yeah. Um, but typically, uh, it's, it's very rare to have that person. And, and so I, I, I think what's realistic is you find the right people who are best at those components. Mm-hmm. And, and so, um, you know, they're, if you can get somebody who can do two or three of those things and do them really, really well, then, then that's great. But why, why not take a really good writer and a really good designer and a really good coder and make something awesome for marketing? You know, why, why wouldn't you take that approach when um, you're probably going to get the best product? Uh, I love the idea of having somebody who can do all three because it means they can generally crank it out faster. Mm-hmm. That's probably like the hacking your way through and I could just, I have an idea, I'm going to stay up all night and I'm going to do this, I'm going to throw it out there and throw my brand on it. And, and so... That's great. That's fun, particularly because I like the idea of seeing if something sticks, mm-hmm. like an idea sticks or, or, you know, gets a lot of traction socially. Uh, however, that can be dangerous too, uh, taking that approach. So, for example, we have a couple of properties that uh, I desperately want to update, like do a major upgrade on. We just haven't had time because we're so focused on our product. And so, GA Config is one, uh, which is a site that we made, GAConfig.com, and. Uh, and that helps you set up your all kinds of tracking code for, for GA. It's, it's super helpful. Schema Creator uh, is another one where it's a site that helps you set up common uh, schema types. And we also have a WordPress press plugin for it. But there's so much more we could do for it, and it's been neglected. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the problem with that is you, you can then be seen as somebody who just throws out a bunch of stuff and never does, does anything with it. And that's a bad stigma to have you know, attached to your brand. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, so Sosa did this, and then they never did anything to it again, yeah. you know? Um, and if we're, if we're thinking along the lines of, assuming I'm u- even using the definition of growth hacker correctly, uh, if we're thinking along the lines of somebody who's just producing, throwing stuff all over the place so to see if it sticks to bring attention to themselves, mm-hmm. um, uh, there's a positive and negative to that, potentially. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, the whole concept of growth hacking really applies to startups because they, they have limited uh, cash, you know, cash in the bank, right? Yeah. I think they kind of need to meld in, meld in these people. And it, I agree, it, it's totally rare to find these types of people, but they, they do exist. I think ideally, once you get bigger, you do want to have specialists. I uh, totally agree with that. But it does sound like you did share like a growth hack, which is building tools and then giving away, like you're talking plugins, GA config, which I use. Absolutely. Um, so what, can you give the audience an idea of, you know, how long it might take to make something like this and kind of the returns you might expect? Um, sometimes it's just an idea you have and you truly crank it out like in a day or two. 
Um, it's just like it's, it's just a simple thing, and you and I have worked in the past just side by side with a with a developer, and we just like made this thing, mm-hmm. and we stuck it out there. And usually something that's humorous or something they can plug something in, and um, and then and it, it just gets attention, has your brand on it, that type of thing. Uh, other times, like with uh, GA Config, we consulted with analytics experts. Uh, I think it, it may have been Cardinal Path or somebody at the time, um, and they helped us make sure that what we were saying was actually correct. That we weren't, in other words, we didn't stare inside our own bubble, and so we actually got some outside help. Um, you don't have to pay somebody for that. You can just have friends in the industry that can help you with that, and and you just you know you make sure it works and you stick it out there, and then you you then remain really responsive to feedback so that you can fix something really quick or whatever, so that you don't lose momentum with that particular thing. Uh, one of the things that I'm wanting to do, that have been wanting to do, is uh, sort of a rinse and repeat type of thing, so that uh, once you make something, you can then reuse it for a different topic or a different purpose. Mm-hmm. The example I, I don't mind giving, just because I won't give anything away of what I want to do, <laughs> is we created something called Twetchup, which is a ridiculous name, and, and it had like a tomato for the logo for it, but it was really cool. It was for conferences, and it would aggregate all of the tweets that were, that were going on related to a particular um, session. And so we had like session grid and who it was and it just, you could see it real time and it would uh, archive it and we'd do it for like PubCon and things like that. And that was something that we could rinse and repeat. So so we used it a few times at different events and it, and it, it was great for branding and got attention. Even the events shared it because it was like, oh, this promotes us. This is very useful. Um, that's the type of thing that I would recommend spending time on. So if you're like, oh, it's going to take a couple weeks to crank that out. Well, if it's something that you can reuse over and over again, it's probably worth your it's time. Worth it. Got it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, so final question here. Um, what's one must-read book for entrepreneurs in the audience or marketers? Oh, man. Uh, I read books, but they're more like science fiction. <laughs> um, Whatever's been the best for like the, the past few years for you. I'm, I'm just, yeah, I'm trying to think. Um, cool, that's a hard one. I, the thing is, is that I read so much online now. It's like replace my books. And when I read books, it's either uh, some sort of philosophical nonfiction. That (laughs) that might be, that might work. Yeah, yeah, that might work. My goodness. Um, Crap. Crap? (laughs) No, no, crap's not a good one. I'm just kidding. Oh, it does. It doesn't work. The the I like stuff from like Sam Harris. He makes me think about things. It has nothing to do with our industry. Um, uh, yeah. I really. How about this? How about I just talk about places and people? Because uh, I really, I really like Bill Swarovski with SEO by the Sea. Mm-hmm. I, I love the fact that that he uh, keeps an eye on. He has a law background and he keeps an eye on Google patents, which you can get some really interesting insights about what Google's up to. I really like AJ uh, Cohn, who um, keeps up with Google Plus and, and um, a bunch of other topics. He's super, super smart. Uh, they're, uh, you know, I never pass up anything that Aaron Wall writes or <laughs> rant, you know, he might have, which is usually pretty insightful. Um, Ray Hoffman is starting to write a lot more. She's very insightful. Mm-hmm. And, um, Those are you know, good. 
Yeah, and, and the, the thing I would, of course I follow all the, the main sort of online journals and things like that and search engine land and all that stuff. Um, but what I recommend, what is really helpful to me is to find, don't worry about how popular somebody is, just judge them on their content. And if you're reading something, you're like, man, this person is insightful and actually has a completely different take on something and, I, and it totally makes sense, add them to an, your RSS reader. And I would say that, uh, this is funny, this is kind of going back to your question, how do you keep track of what's going on and whatever? If I didn't have my RSS reader, which for, for me is Feedly now, uh, I might be a little lost. Uh, Feedly, I have my list of marketers that I follow and always read. And some people, nobody knows who they are. I mean, they probably have like 50 readers, um, but they are, uh, what they're thinking about and what they're talking about is just amazing. And so I use that for my own personal insight. Got it. Okay, cool. Yeah, no, these are all really great. You know, I'm going to list these in the resources, but, um, you know, John, thanks so much for doing this. I know we went a little over, but, uh, you know, we hope to talk to you again soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. It was nice. Thanks. thanks.